Good morning, everybody. I hope you're ready to have some fun with us this morning. Would you please stand and join us in song? church this morning. My name is Bryce Lynn, and I'm so excited to share this service with you on a holiday weekend. Way to get up and be in church at 9.09 a.m. Whether you are here in person or you're with us online, you made it. Well done on the holiday. You made it to church. We're excited to, to be with you. Thank you for sharing part of your weekend with us. We hope that as you're with us, you'll see that 
we serve a God who's about real relationship and real transformation. He wants to see us leave different and closer to him than the way that we walked in. We get to celebrate together as a group here in this place uh, today, which is awesome. But we know that even as we do, there are people around our country and even in our city who are really having a hard week. We know that there has been nothing but, but chaos and sadness in the state of Texas this week. And we remember them as we have a Memorial Day Sunday. And we know that there have just been all kinds of things that have come up in the lives of the people that we know and love. There have been unexpected diagnoses. There have been unexpected losses. There have been unexpected job losses. There have been a number of things that have come up in the, it just bubbled up just in the life of our own family right here um, that we want to pray for. And we want to take to the God who has the power to do something about. And so with that in mind, would you please join me Lord God, we, we come to you and we, we offer everything we have to you. God, as a, as a church, as a family, Lord, we, we just say we, we're coming as honestly and as humbly as we know how. And we know that even as we celebrate you, we talk about your goodness and your grace and your abundance and your joy today. That your house is also filled with anxiety and sorrow and frustration and worry. And God, we pray for the families of those who were lost in Uvalde, Texas this week, God. We pray that you would be near to the brokenhearted, those who are absolutely devastated. Lord, we, we pray a prayer that just asks you, God, to be close to those who are grieving because they've lost someone in battle. God, this is Memorial Day, Lord, and there are some who have given all they can to create and sustain our life and liberty and our ability to pursue our, our joy, God. God, they've given us the ability to even be here and worship in person. God, we ask that you would just be near to us today. There are so many amongst us who are grieving, who are dealing with unexpected losses. And we ask that you would be as close as the next breath, that you would be near God, for those who got surprised this week by a diagnosis or a, a job loss or something that was going on in their, their world, Lord, we, we pray that you are bigger than those things. We, we commit to continuing to following you, even in the midst of struggle. God, we give you this service as an act of praise and thanksgiving for all that you've already done, your promises already fulfilled for the way that you have come through over and over and over. Lord, as we worship, as we praise, you are the audience of heaven. And we give you this service with all that we have. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. I have a couple things I wanted to share with y'all going on in the life of our church. The first is if you have ever wondered about joining the church as an official member, we have a special dinner hosted by our pastors at their house on Wednesday, June 15th at 6 p.m. And it's when you can just come, you can learn what it means to be a member of the church, what it means to join this family and to grow in your faith with Jesus. And we would love to have you. So if you would like to come, you can text Kathy and let her know. The next thing I wanted to share with y'all is some exciting stuff about VBS. We cannot wait to have 100 kids fill this place for a week of absolute fun to learn about Jesus. And we would love your help. We would love for people to pray about sponsoring children so that they can come take away that financial burden for some parents where it really is an obstacle for them. Um, helping make that happen and also uh, just funding this amazing week to help make sure that the t-shirts happen and that there's a grand finale sponsor, all these things. We would love your help with that. And also, if you're thinking about uh, leading, we need 15 more adults and five more high schoolers, Monday through Friday, or just pick a day or a couple days. We would love to have you come and serve. I'm going to be here on Thursday and Friday. I am so excited to walk through these halls, especially with my two kids. There's nothing greater than being a mom and loving on not only your own kids, but the kids of this church and of our community, singing songs with them, reading Bible stories with them. So I would really um, recommend it. 
And then the last thing I wanted to share with y'all is next Sunday, June 5th, we as a church are kicking off summer with what we're calling Summer Sunday. We are going to have bounce houses out in the parking lot, popsicles, there's going to be a little kid bounce house, there's going to be a big kid obstacle bounce house, it's going to be a blast. And I would just really, and Honor's excited about it, he's going to bounce in the little kid bounce house. And I would just recommend if you are, especially, this is um, an invitation for parents of, of young families, if you have some friends that you've thought about inviting to church, this is the perfect Sunday. It's very non-threatening to invite someone to come to a bounce house party. Oh, and church, by the way, uh, I would just encourage you to reach out and invite them to either the 9 a.m. service or the 10.30 service. That's right. We're moving the service up 15 minutes instead of our second service. Being at 1045, we have decided uh, to move that up a little bit to 1030. We want more crossover for our two services so that as a church-wide family, we can visit in between those two services. So starting next week, our two service times are going to be at 9 and 1030. Thanks. I was asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Hi, I'm Fitz. I'm one of the pastors. I'm dressed out. What's wrong with the rest of you? I see a red shirt here. Wait, have we got some color back there somewhere? Anybody? Come on. There we go. There's red over there. It's Memorial Day. But that's not why I'm up here. I'm up here to remind you of your generosity. And one of the ways we're being generous is where you have this in your seat. And if you don't mind, pick it up right now. This. Th so... So um, this is end 68. That's the period of time that kids who need help for food, when they leave school, they, they go that many hours before they get the Monday morning breakfast at school. And what we're doing is helping feed them. In the summer, that intensifies because kids aren't in school. And so what we want you to do is keep doing what you're doing. We're not going to get up here every week and talk about N68. However, there are hungry kids, and we're making a difference. And so here it is exactly what you need to do and how to do it. It's as crystal clear as it can be. We'll take the stuff here as it says, and we will make sure that they get it, and then it gets distributed by that mission that does a great job of that. So you are generous, and that's what we talk about in church here in worship on Sunday mornings is your generosity you know what's coming next. You have ways that you can continue to make things happen financially. That's a part of what we do. And so there are five ways to do it. There's a generosity box at the back, a, a small wooden box if you have cash or a check and you want to leave it. Thank you for being a family that cares about people in need and people in need who are hungry and people who are in need who are going to respond by giving for VBS and all the other ways that we make what we do happen happen. Be generous and therefore know the goodness of God. Would you please stand and join us in song?
Shouts of acclamation and lead me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall knock in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how Sings my soul, my Savior God's name.
Well, here we are in, in Jonah, week three, right? Maybe you weren't here for week one or week two. That's all right. You don't have to. This is, uh, you need not to have been present to have won. How's that? So we're, Jonah is a rebel. This is what Jonah's doing. He's rebelling against God because he does not want to do and does not understand what God wants him to do. He does not want to do what God wants him to do. He's rebelling against God more specifically because God wants to love Jonah's enemies. And, God, and Jonah is mad at God for being loving of Jonah's enemies. I had a personal experience recently of having been to Nineveh sort of myself. And there's a picture to illustrate it. Get your cameras out. You're not going to believe this. Bingo. <laughs> so you're, you're saying, why is he standing next to J.T. Hill, who has a, ra a rowdy reptile shirt on, wearing an orange and blue shirt that says gators on it? Oh, oh, only for Ed McWilliams would I do this. So we, we wore our colors last Tuesday when we laid Ed to rest at Myrtle Hill. And Kathy was there, and Karen was there, and the fa just the family was there. JT was there, and um, JT's home for the summer working. And Ed Ann wanted us to wear the colors. And so we did. And I enjoyed doing it. Ed was um, a loving person. We celebrated that. His, his heart attack or whatever his heart event that no one saw this coming in the sense that he had had an event but thought we had it fixed. 76 years old. Had a lot of arrows left in his quiver. But this is what we did and I, you know that I mean this playfully. I, I have a really close friend who's a gator. That, that's a subtle joke for those of you that don't know that my wife went to the <laughs> University of Florida. So, so um, we play, and Gainesville is not really Nineveh, but Nineveh really was Nineveh, this city that Jonah hated because Nineveh was the capital, C-A-P-I-T-O-L, the capital of Assyria the hated enemy of the people of God of Israel. And when they attacked, they did hideous things. They did unbelievable things. So I'm going to read this first verse, and we're going to talk about Jonah chapter 3. I'm going to read the first verse, and then I'm going to help you understand how hideously hated they were by, by, uh, with another more personal thing. Then the word of the Lord, you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital V? Oh, it's not all caps. It's supposed to be all caps. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The reason it's supposed to be all caps is because when the Hebrew text has God's name, Yahweh, out of reverent fear for God, the, old, the people of Israel would not say Yahweh. You following me here? Hang with me. Okay, it, in the text, it says Yahweh. The Hebrew word for Yahweh is Yahweh. The Hebrew word for Lord is Adonai. When the Hebrew people are reading this text and they come in Hebrew to the word Yahweh, they say out loud Adonai out of a kind of reverent fear of God. You and I as followers of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of God. We certainly want to, to be the loyal subjects of our sovereign king, but we can look God in the face and call him daddy or even use his name. And I've been practicing that as I'm reading through the Old, Old Testament right now, the whole thing, and I'm just saying Yahweh every time I see all caps. So when you're reading your Bible and you see all caps, it means the word Yahweh is there, not the word Lord. The word for Lord is still a great word to talk to God about. Anyway, so the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh comes to Jonah, and look at this, a second time. He's getting a mulligan. He's getting a do-over. Jonah rebels in chapters 1 and 2 and says, I ain't doing it. God says, go to Nineveh, which is east. And, and Jonah catches a one-way ticket to Gibraltar west. He takes off, gets, vomit, gets swallowed by a fish and vomited up on the beach back east. And this time, a second time, a do-over. But see here, the do-over really isn't about Jonah. And your do-overs really aren't about you. And mine are not about me. Our do-overs are about God. Because, see, God, will, God is saying this, I'm going to get this thing done. I want those hideous people 
of Nineveh, who, who I'm mad at. God is mad at them because they're so treacherously bad. I want them to hear the good news, and I'm going to send my man Jonah there. And Jonah bails, gets a second chance, but the second chance is really about God getting done what God wants to do. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Go, Jonah, go. And Jonah this time says, I'm going to do it. But first, let's do this. Take a look at this picture to help you and me understand how much he loathed Assyria. This is a picture that came off the wall uh, downtown at 412 Zach Street. It's a picture of a plaque of people who died in World War II. Can you, I know you can't read it. There are names here. Um, one is still a part of our church, Forrest Bouchal, B-O-U-S-H-A-L-L. He has a relative who died in World War II. Just let me remind you a couple of things about World War II. You ready? You ever heard of Nazi? My father hated Hitler. He flew in planes and bombed Germany. He hated facial hair. Sorry. You know why? Hitler had a mustache. He loathed Hitler. You heard of the Japanese? You heard of Pearl Harbor? So Americans were watching. It's hard for us because it's so long ago. The, the atrocities committed by the German people and by the Nazis in particular, just on Jewish people, they murdered one-third of the world's Jewish population. There were roughly 18 million Jews on the planet. There were 12 or 11 million left after, after Stalin and Hitler finished. They did atrocious things. If you've read anything about what the Nazis did to Jewish people, if you ever read any of it and you've seen what they've done to twins, body experiments, seeing what people could withstand, all this, they just did horrendous things. You'd much rather just be gassed and gone than have them pick you and do their experiments on you. Let's go to 1941 in Pearl Harbor. Now, there was all kinds of animosity between us, but the Japanese, hey, we've done atrocious things also. Go to chattel slavery, what we did. Not you, but what people did in this country, citizens. We did horrendous things. The Japanese did horrendous things to Chinese people before the revolution in 1949. The communist revolution happened in, in 1949. Before that, they, they murdered thousands and thousands of people, the Japanese did, in what was then the capital of China. They, they bombed us. Uh, 2,500 people were killed. Another 1,000 were injured at Pearl Harbor. People do atrocious, horrible things. And here, here's the last point about this plaque. Um, years and years and years ago, I think McLean may have been the youth minister, we did something to help some Japanese people. And a member of the church grabbed me and got in my face and said, why are you doing anything for those people? She still so loved, loathed the Japanese that she couldn't see her church having anything compassionate to do with them. Are you warming up now with, with Jonah? <laughs> you, 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 you and I don't have those big like mega stories, but there's somebody you don't like. And there's somebody you need to forgive. And that's what we're leaving here with. I don't want you to leave here today without two things for your homework. You're going to listen and you're going to forgive. We'll say more about that in a minute. But reminding us of how real it was and how hard it was for Jonah to say yes to what God had asked him to do because Jonah didn't want to do it and he certainly didn't understand it. What did Jonah not understand? The character and the love of God. Jonah simply didn't understand that God could love even the most treacherously hideous, vile behavior of human beings. It breaks God's heart, but God will make it right. So the, 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 the World War II tension that we felt and I am in no way disparaging Japanese people or Germans now. Those, the, the German people that I met when I, in the 70s who were doing youth ministry and young life, and I met them young adults like me, they still carried a sense of cultural guilt, a collect, a, not cultural, collective guilt. They had nothing to do with it, but they, they, it, was, it was only 30 years later, and they just still felt it. I don't think 20-year-olds today in Germany feel that, but they did then. It's very powerful stuff. We can do hideous things to each other. And Jonah didn't like it, and Jonah didn't understand it. So, only go with the story. Jonah obeyed the word of God, 
and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. That's a pretty big town. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, now, friends, you're going to hear the worst sermon ever given in the world. You ready? This is the worst. And it's eight words in English, but five in Hebrew. But let me read it in English first, and then I'll show it to you in Hebrew. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. Period. I would be fired. So look at it in Hebrew. So Hebrew works. If you, it works from right to left. And by the way, I have my Hebrew Bible on here. If you just want to see it, if it, for fun, I'll show it to you afterwards. I, I will not get anybody to come, by the way. I, there, there will be no takers, but I always say that kind of stuff. So working from right to left, and I'm not going to pronounce it, all that kind of stuff, but it's five words, and they're broken out so you can see them. And one, two, three, four, five, and in English it says, just yet 40 more days, and then it will be overthrown. So there it is, the whole, the whole line. Let's go to the next slide. The very last word means overthrown, and notice that's what I read. Uh, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown, right? And what that means is that God is going to get their attention. God is sending a storm. This country is going to collapse under the weight of its own vile wickedness. However, there's a word play here, a, a, a pun, a double meaning, because in the tense that that verb is in right there, it means overthrown. But you go to a different tense in Hebrew, and it can be transformed. Yet 40 more days and Nineveh will be transformed. Do you think that's an accident? Do you think it's an accident that in this beautiful Hebrew text we have a word that can mean two different things? So again, we're back to the heart of God. Can God take a vile, wicked, treacherously evil group of people and transform them? And the answer is absolutely yes. That's what God can do question that you and I have to ask is the same one that, that Jonah's having to ask. Am I okay with God loving somebody who might be my enemy, my personal enemy, but somebody who I think is just not lovable? Am I okay with that? You need to be. I need to be. We need to learn how to be good with God's love for him. We pause to take a look at how that could be the case. We see God's character. So we're going to pause from, uh, from Jonah for a minute and jump to God's character. This is, Jonah's going to use this very first and in the, in the next chapter to accuse God. <laughs> Here, look at it. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And God passes, the he there is God, in front of Moses, and he proclaims this, God talking about himself, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. He's compassionate. He's a gracious God slow to anger and abounding in love and forgiveness. What Jonah doesn't get is this. Jonah doesn't get God's character. When God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, it's motivated by this character. God is loving. God is compassionate. God is slow to anger and filled with abounding love. God is full of faithfulness. And out of God's character, God can't not rescue us. Even Nineveh, even Japan, even Berlin, even Atlanta, Tampa, all of us, there is no one who's not eligible, and Jonah can't get it. And again, you and I may have somebody who we put on the ineligible list, everybody but that one. You may have someone who you've said, I can't forgive them. And that's what we're being challenged to, to wrestle with as we try to understand Jonah. Here's what's really important. I said it once, I'll say it again. It's not about Jonah. It's not about Nineveh. It's about God. See, the, this great thing of God's love, it's not about us. It's for us. But it's about God. If we understand God's character, then we can begin, maybe, to understand how it is that God would want to rescue a wicked person from Nineveh. And you and I simply have to say, I've been forgiven, and so I'm going to become a person who forgives. Again, or am I okay with God loving someone who I think shouldn't be loved, with loving my enemy? And the answer needs to be yes. So here's what happens next. Watch. The worst sermon in history, 
five lousy words. Now, you got to think it just before. He's lame. <laughs> no, Jonah is just still, he's doing it, but man, it's like he's dragging his feet. Oh, okay, I'll give you the sermon. Bam. And he, he, he does not want to be there, and he does not want to do it. He doesn't even go all the way through town. He just goes one day and a third of the way in. Here's how they respond. Watch this. The Ninevites believed God. The Ninevites believed God. Transformation is about to start taking place. They believed God. A fast was proclaimed. If you've been keeping track, we're fasting the first Wednesday of every month as we continue to say to God, how do you want to use us to reach this community? This Wednesday, you're going to be fasting. Hope you remembered. That means don't eat food. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> We're going to fast. And why are we fasting? Because it's an act of surrender. It's an act of submission. It's an act of self-humiliation in the, in the best sense of the word. It's, a, it's an act of repentance, saying, I'm sorry. And it's an act that helps us hear God when you begin to feel hunger inside, you begin to understand, I begin to understand my need for God. So skip the meal. Skip breakfast, skip lunch, go wild at dinner. The bell goes off at 5 o'clock, by the way. If you want to know when can you eat something, you can have the chips open just like this at 5 o'clock. <laughs> Kathy does that, by the way, the one who always makes us fast. She's eating food at 5.01. <laughs> She's not here to defend herself. <laughs> A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So I did a little research for sackcloth on you, and you're going to, first thing you're thinking is burlap. You know, they're, they're arguing in the scholarly things about this. You know what it probably was? Black goat hair. That's even worse, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't matter. What the sackcloth is, is a sign of my repentance. It's a sign of my submission to God. It's, it's, it's me saying, it's all about you, God. It's not about me. And I'm sorry, God, I don't want this all to keep going the way it's been going. And God is accepting that humble posture of wearing sackcloth. So that's what they do. They all in the greatest and the least put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose up from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Now, just notice what I said, the king. So uh, reminding you of what it must have been like for Jonah to be in the presence of the king of Nineveh. It would be like um, me telling, going to the Kremlin and telling Putin to repent. So... That what happens then is not good. He, a, he's not going to repent. B, I'm losing my head. That's what happens if I go to the Kremlin and t yell at, the, at, the, at Putin. Really, I mean, there's no real difference. I'm not going to the Kremlin. The king sits down in the dust. And on we go. And look at the proclamation. This is the proclamation. He, that is the king, issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. And look at it. Watch this carefully. Don't let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. In other words, even the critters have to go on a fast. Don't let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. I guess the black goats are already covered. That's a joke. I'll keep my day job. <laughs> Don't let them eat or drink. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Now remember, this is the king saying it. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion, which we already know is the character of God, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So here, here's what's going on. The king recognizes that they, he and they are wicked people bad people, evil people, running in a, the opposite direction of God and everything about the way they do life. And then here, notice something really, really important. The king says God will turn from his fierce anger. Now, this bothers some of us, that God is angry. That you, you're, some of you even think that it's two different gods, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. 
uh, one God. The whole Bible, one story that points us to Jesus. Here's how I want you to think about God's anger. If something is wrong, if something is hurting people, if something is broken, and people broke it on purpose, wouldn't you want the God who wants everything right to be mad about it? Don't you want your God to be mad about what's going on in Ukraine? So there's this a part of God that's really hard for us moderns and Westerners. We don't like it. We want God to be all lovey-lovey, and God is. But we don't like it when God starts to show a little bit of ire. Here's what I want you to know. I don't want anything to do with a God who pretends that bad stuff isn't bad. You can't take evil, pick up the carpet, and sweep it under it and pretend, oh, it's okay, it wasn't really bad. God has to do something about it. God must do something about what's wrong because God is a righteous God, a just God. Justice, fairness means there must be an accountability for evil. Something is broken and it must be repaired. There's a cross behind me. The, the evil of the universe focused on Jesus, the most heinous act of evil ever created, way worse than Pearl Harbor, way worse than the atrocities of the, of the Nazis on the Jews, way worse than the atrocities the Japanese inflicted on the Chinese, way worse than the Assyrians in Nineveh. This is it. This is, this is a brutal death, but brutal in the sense of the... the cosmic significance, all the evil of the universe rightly dealt with. Death itself defeated. Death killed. So I want my God to be mad when things are wrong. I don't want to be standing there. I don't want to be a person who feels it. And so you, I want you to wrestle with that. Do I want a God who isn't taking action when things are broken, when people hurt people, when people are bad? You don't. You don't want that kind of God. I don't either. And that's what this is about. And the king of Nineveh figured it out. Jonah apparently still doesn't get it because he just didn't go very far with his sermon. Who knows? Maybe God will yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger. Sometimes the word wrath gets used so that we will not perish. Watch what happens. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. He gave them a second chance. He gives us a second chance. So like Jonah, you and I have been given things to do by God that we don't like or we don't understand or both. And we get a second chance. And what I'm trying to say with Jonah for you and for me is that it's going to be personal and it's going to be somebody that you need to forgive. So right now, who is it in your life that you want to forgive? Forgiveness never seems like a good idea before you do it, does it? No, it's terrible. And it's eating at you, this person. They're, they're living inside you for rent free. And being bitter with them is like drinking poison and hoping it makes them sick. It's the right thing to do to forgive. Forgiveness never seems fair. They're not sorry, we could say. That's not the point. See, the, the thing about Jesus and the death on the cross, he did it for every single one of us. And, and many people are oblivious to this forgiveness and love that's available to them. But he didn't say, only for the people who say they're sorry to me does this work. He didn't say that. I'm only doing it for them. He did it for all of us. All the atrocity of the human history and all that will be and, and the stuff that you and I do. We're not atrocious people, but we are rebellious people in our own way. We say, no, God, I don't want to do what you want me to do. And really, really, God, I ain't forgiving them. I ain't doing it. And we hold on to it. So just a word about what forgiveness isn't. You ready? Forgiveness is not saying that what hurt or what was wrong wasn't hurtful or wrong. It's not pulling up the carpet and sweeping it under it and going pretending it wasn't really there. Forgiveness is not saying that was right. It's, it's acknowledging that it was a wrong thing. So it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean pretending that something that's bad isn't really bad. And forgiveness is also not reconciliation. 
Some of you have been hurt by people, and you need to forgive them, but you do not need to reconcile with them. You can't reconcile because it's, irrecon it's irreconcilable. Lots of things can, it, reconciliation can happen, but you, it, it's not the same thing as forgiveness. You forgive because it's your job. The person you're forgiving may never acknowledge that they hurt you, ever. Ed McWilliams stood in our sanctuary years ago and talked about that very thing in his life where he was hurt badly professionally. And he I'm only reason I'm saying is because we're talking about him today and he stood in the church and said it in a sermon. I was hurt. I forgave the person that hurt me. They never acknowledged anything. And Kathy's nodding her head. She knows what I'm talking about. Details don't matter. It's the truth for you. You and I have been hurt by people and they're simply not going to say, I'm sorry. And, and you must forgive them. I don't think you have to tell somebody that they're forgiven to, for you to forgive them, but, but that sometimes you may choose to do it. Reconciliation is possible, but it's different from forgiveness. Reconciliation and, put in, and forgiveness is not trusting somebody either. So forgiveness is letting it go. It's not reconciliation and it's not trust because reconciliation and trust mean both parties are participating in the, the newness that can happen. It's beautiful when that happens. A, dr a dramatic story where I'll leave all the names out of that. A, a person came to me broken and said, I've discovered that my wife is um, having a thing with another man. And so we talked. And this person was broken. And then the wife wanted to talk. So we talked. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist, but I listened carefully. And we, we met each of us individually one-on-one -on -one a couple of times, and then the three of us met together once. And I, I don't remember. I, I'm certain that I recommended a, a therapist or two and asked him. So here, here's what I mean. Forgiveness. Can I let go? Can, can this man let go of it? And the woman was not defensive, but she did have things she wasn't happy about in their relationship. She wasn't defensive about what she had done. She was remorseful about what she had done. And one thing leads to another, and they both forgave. And when this happens, trust is really hard to rebuild. So they both forgave, and they made it. So I saw them not too long ago, and it was in a, the, the, it was in a loud, large crowd, and there were a lot of people around. It was loud, so I just went up and hugged them. And I had tears in my eyes because I hadn't seen them. They made it this far. This was seven or eight years ago. So forgiveness happened first. And then the hard work of reconciliation and of trust. And my heart just exploded with gratitude that somehow they had done this really, really hard work. So you have somebody you need to forgive. If you've hurt somebody, you may need to go and say, I'm sorry. They may not have forgiven you yet. If they don't know that they need to forgive you just because that's what their job is, you saying, I'm sorry, if you really are sorry, you need to go and you need to apologize. You need to tell somebody you're sorry. This is the only way that you and I can have a transformed life. The king of Nineveh began to change. Now, history shows that this repentance thing that happened in Assyria didn't last very long. <laughs> that's the bad news. So there was this thing that happened. His name was Xerxes II. And you can go look him up if you want to. Uh, something happened that transformed their culture for a while, but it, it, it didn't last. But you, you can make change in your life by letting go and forgiving. It's the only way that our lives can transform. If we're sitting on top of something that's broken, we need to, we need to release and let go and forgive and maybe work on reconciliation and trust. That's a judgment call. It might be the person is not trustable, and you may have to make that hard decision. But holding on to the bitterness, you will never be able to be transformed by Jesus. He just simply can't get a hold of you. I want you to, right now, I'm going to pray. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about the person that you need to forgive, and I want you to know it's not about you, and it's not about the person. It's about God, and God is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, you, friends, and I have been forgiven, and therefore we can be people who forgive others. So let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us. 
We thank you that we have a cross in this room. And on that cross, you hung and you got off of it and you're resurrected. But that cross means that all evil, the most heinous evil ever and the most heinous people ever, you see them as your creation. You made them in your image. And you can see past all of the junk and you can see them if they have become transformed. You can reconcile with them. You can grow them into people who can be trusted. We can't. And right now we have a someone or some circumstance on our mind where we need to let go. We need to forgive. Perhaps we also need to go and apologize. This is what true transformation in our lives is about, gracious God. When we do this, people notice and they can see the goodness of your love in our lives when we treat people with kind and gentle hearts. When we forgive, we tell the truth, we forgive, and maybe even we reconcile. What a great image, gracious God, of your love for us that while we were sinners rebelling, Jesus died for us. Thank you that we get to be people who are in a family that's learning to forgive, learning to love, learning to listen, learning to be humble and quiet and gentle. All this in Jesus' name. Amen. On this great weekend of Memorial Day, I want you to stand up. I want you to be grateful for everything that God has done for you, including our country, and I want you to go be forgiving.